Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we, we left off here. Listen to this. If you're new to the Bible, I'm going to give you a little insight on what the pastor's supposed to do. I do this every once in a while. You want me to tell you what the pastor is supposed to do? It's real simple here uh, during this time. He's supposed to tell you what's in the text, explain to you what's in the text. And as he explains to you what's in the text, what he wants to do, what he's trying to do, is he's trying to open up this book so that you'll see in all his beauty and glory the life, the character, the work, the meaning, did I say the glory, the majesty of Jesus Christ. And we're now going through the book of Luke And we're in this story that you guys and I know from the Christmas time. I mean, for Pete's sake, Linus even gets in on the act here. And he recites this bit, which is really kind of cool because the gospel goes out on, you know, CBS every year or whatever, national TV. But, But what, it's more than candy and treats and family, what's happening here is, and what we're trying to tell you is, this one who's eternal came from out of the heavens of his glorified place, and if you don't know this chapter of the Bible, go to it and just be blown away. And Philippians 2 happens. He puts aside his rights to his deity and lives as a man. It's never that he stopped being God. He never stopped being God, even when he lived on the earth. But imagine this. The one who's eternal came from the heavens, the Son of God. He came in a little slobbery trough. He needed diapers, folks. He slept. He ate. He went to the restroom, bathroom. I'm not trying to be too much. He was a man. He was human. He put aside, as one writer said, his independent use of his own divine attributes. And here it is. Listen to this word. Submitted himself wholly to the Father. That's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Go read it today. Read it at 1 o'clock. That's a little dig at football watchers including myself. He put aside. He, he did it. These are deep mysteries that are here. He's deep mysteries. He never stopped being God. He lived as a man, yet without sin. And he did it for you and for me. He did it for us. He did it for love, but he did it for justice, too. Justice. Never forget that. He did it for justice. His father's justice must be satisfied so that God is free to release his grace and mercy. And you love, and I love singing about grace and mercy, don't you? Oh, yeah, boy, we'd be toast without it. But his justice was satisfied. That's what he came. He came on this mission. What was the justice? The justice was, the Bible tells us that you're all, we're all sinners, 
which means we live a life of death and decay. You know how I know? Look at the side of my hair here. I need some just for men. I'm decaying. I'm going to die physically unless the Lord comes back first. So we live a life of death and decay. But, 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 but he doesn't. So a bridge must be forged, made. A penalty must be paid. Because we rebelled and live a life of death and decay. He lives a life of life <laughs> and aliveness. I know that's not a word. I'm making stuff up. But he did it by his son who came as the proper sacrifice to reconcile us back to the Father. And this is the story of how he came into the world. So it's more than a Christmas story. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We like it at Christmas, but this is a, a, a story for all of the ages. This, Dr. Luke, a physician, tells us is the birth of Jesus Christ, and before his birth, 800 years prior in the book of Isaiah, it's prophesied that there must be a prophet who prepares the way for the Messiah, and that is John the Baptist. Now, if you're new to the Bible, John the Baptist is different than the John who writes the Gospels, okay? And here, Dr. Luke He's a physician. He was a companion of Paul. He writes this gospel so that the leper and the king can be saved. The outcast and the popular one, saved. The rich one and the poor one, saved. He writes this gospel universally for all, and he wants all to come into the family of God. He says it's for all of us by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're studying so we got last time through these two who had been waiting on the Messiah. That was Simeon and Anna. And we uh, stopped right after Anna. And so I'm going to read in verse 39 of chapter 2. And we're going to try to forge our way into chapter 3. But first we have to finish. And here's what it says. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 39, chapter 2. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord... They returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. At the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother didn't know it, but supposing him to have been in the company. They went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. So now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard them were astonished at his understanding and answers." So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they didn't understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was market, subject to them. 
But his mother kept all these things in his, her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So, Lord, we do. We just need your help. We need your help here, Lord, to understand what you'd have for us here. And then, Lord, we need your help to even apply, to live it out. We need your resource and strength to live out what, uh, what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let me, set your, let me set where you are. Christ has already been born. Catch that. Christ has been born. We've been studying about that. At the same time, you know, relatively, there was also a relative who was born, and his name was John the Baptist. Okay? And we have been following all the different people that the Lord put uh, in the story of Christ coming as a baby. Remember, closely linked to Philippians 2, 1 through 11. You're going to want to always remember that as you study through this. This one came from out of the heavens, and it was uh, prophesied about that he would do so. And he, unlike what we would do, he was born in a very humble way. If I was in charge of announcing the Messiah, I would have put him on all the news channels. I wouldn't have put him with shepherds. I would have put him with you know, news broadcasters or famous people. But Jesus appeared, he came in the fields, and the shepherds were the first ones to be told about it, the gospel. The ones with the stinky job, literally, were the ones that the Lord chose to reveal the coming of the Messiah. Now, there's a sermon there about what we do for jobs. But that's for another day, or at least we talked about it before. What else? Jesus then is presented at the temple. After eight days, he had to, you know, get circumcised. We talked about all of that. And he was presented at the temple according to the law of Moses. And then at the temple, Simeon sees him and Anna sees him. And then we just read in 39, if you don't know the geography of Israel, they lived about 60 to 80 miles away from Jerusalem. I don't know about you. I like to walk. I like to hike. But 60 to 80 miles, buddy, is a long way. And this family had come down. They were presented at the temple, and they performed all things according to the law of the Lord. Now, that's important for you. You need to know that. Do you, we, we said this this morning in Bible college. You know how you can sum up the law. Do to get. Track with me here. Or do to right living. Do and you'll be blessed and right living will uh, uh, come out. Uh, spew out of your life or come forth out of your life. But you know what the gospel is? The gospel is you must live first. Be born again. And when you live, you'll live in a right way or a righteous way, right? But you could never say that if verse 39 wasn't there. <laughs> you see, because she and they sang, yet not I, but Christ in me. You're righteous in Christ. But I got news for you. It ain't your righteousness, <laughs> It's his righteousness given to you. But if he never, while he was on this earth, fulfilled the law, lived the law, including 
the curse that came with the law, and that was this. If you violated the law or found guilty of the law, you had to die. Well, see, he lived perfectly under the law. He was killed, but even the curse of the law, death, he defeated. Now, when you surrender your life to Christ, you get all that he has, including his righteousness. In other words, praise the Lord for Mary and Joseph, who took their little boy and lived according to the law. Of course, God had a safe in this, but God orchestrated, and then Mary and Joseph were obedient to have their child live the law. Here, his parents went to Jerusalem, or excuse me, here he performed all things according to the law of the Lord. They did the things that they needed to do, like circumcision. That was a special covenant that God made with Israel that on the eighth day the boy's foreskin would be cut back. But it wasn't just for that. It was for that. But there's a spiritual picture there. The Bible says, listen to this. I'm trying to shock you. Everybody in here must be circumcised. You're like, wait a second. It's 50-50 in here. Yes, but the Bible says that all of our hearts must be circumcised. The flesh, the worldly part, must be cut out. And we must live according to the Spirit. And then you become alive. You're alive when you're living like this. Really alive. You understand that? So they performed all things according to the law of the Lord. They lived the law. Jesus defeated death. And now when we surrender our lives to Christ, we get what he has. And the Bible says that you're the branch and he's the vine. You just plug into the resource. And as I quote here a million times a year, I'm going to say it again. Edwin Lutzer used to be the president. I don't think he's the president of Moody Bible anymore. But anyway, written several books. One day I'm driving down the road. He said this on the uh, radio. I about fell out of my car. He goes, I know why everybody's going to heaven is going to heaven. And so do you if you read your Bible. And he also said, I know why everybody is going to hell who's going to hell. And so do you if you read your Bible. And now I'm like really curious. And he said there's one great difference. And he's, he's right. Those who are going to heaven are counting on the righteousness of Christ. So that God, the Father, sees you as perfectly righteous. Other people insist on showing up. And depending upon their own righteousness, and the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means if you've fallen short of the glory of God, who in here has sinned? Raise your hand. Oh, wait a minute. There's a few people that didn't raise. I'm kidding. There wasn't. Everybody raised. But listen, if you raised your hand and you said you're a sinner, I say the same thing. I'm the chief of everybody in here. You want to be counting on the righteousness of Christ, and that verse is tied to it. That's the glory. Don't just skip by it and go, oh, this is just something for the Christmas story. This has everything to do about your eternal life. Isn't that amazing? So when they had performed all these things, they returned to Galilee, which means they went all the way up to the city of Nazareth. 60, 70, 80 mile walk. They go up there in a Nazareth. Of all the cities in, that were prominent in Galilee up north, Nazareth wasn't the one you went to. It was out in the middle of nowhere. 
No, you wanted to go to Capernaum where all the roads crossed and the things were happening. But they lived in Nazareth, of course. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. The humble things. Because, even we sang it today, when we're in need is when God's power is displayed the most. So, listen, think about, you don't have to raise your hand, but are you in need this morning? Great! It's where God can be glorified. Like, for instance, how you get into heaven. There's only one way I'm getting to heaven. By his righteousness, I need everything that you are, Lord. I'm totally dependent upon you. You see it? Well, one verse, 20 minutes, okay. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. You know Philippians 2, 1 through 11 now. You're going to study it today at 1 o'clock. Well, his parents then went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Why? Because the Old Testament tells us that Jewish men were required three times a year for three festivals to come back into Jerusalem and celebrate these feasts. And one of them was the Passover, which signifies that time when Egypt, or excuse me, Israel was in Egypt and they wanted to get out, but they couldn't extricate themselves from Pharaoh. Two plagues, three plagues, nothing works. And then the blood's put over the doorpost, and guess what happens to them? We sang about it today. Isn't it amazing? They were free. The blood frees us. So here they come back to the Passover to celebrate it, and he's 12 years old. Now, folks, if you go to a movie, if you see a documentary on the History Channel, you're going to know, I want you to know one thing here. There's only one story between Jesus when he was a baby and Jesus when he was around 30 years old and was baptized in the Jordan River. And this is the story. We know hardly anything of Jesus' life from that time except one story. The reason I'm telling you that is you can go on the History Channel where there's books about all these hypotheses about what Jesus did when he was a young boy. Well, you only know from the Bible one story. Catch it? And here's the story, but it tells you tons of stuff. Here's what I think is to tell you. He's 12 years old, and they go up to Jerusalem, which is funny because they're going south on a map, which means Jerusalem is on a mountain. And it is on a mountain. Go there, and you'll see. It's up. But it's down on your map. So when they had finished, according to the custom of the feast, and when they had finished the days as they returned... The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother didn't know it. Now, they weren't being bad parents. They traveled in caravans here, folks. And oftentimes, the ladies and the kids went first, and the males stayed behind, and they you know, were checking for things and trying to be protective. And there were tons of people, and often you'd go with your friends, just like kids would do, you know, be with their friends and hang out and do all that sort of thing. So Mary and Joseph aren't being, like, totally bad here. But they're trying to go back up uh, to the, where they live. They went it one day. Listen, listen. They go one day. I said, hey, hey, is he up in the front with, you know, his buddies? Can't find him. One day. They turn around, and they have to go back one day. They return to Jerusalem seeking him. So it was that after three days. Can you imagine? Listen, one time one of our children got lost in a mall. You ever had that feeling? You know, like one minute can be like, you, you, 
your heart's gone. You're freaking. You just don't know, right? And that all, your mind starts, right? So you know the feeling when they say we were anxious to him later. Well, when they didn't find him, they returned. Now, it was after three days they found him in the temple, of course. Tell me what you know about the temple. See, if you don't know the Old Testament, you might not know this, but that's okay. The temple, prior you know, to Jesus dying and rising again, the temple, this permanent structure up in Jerusalem, up on Mount Moriah, right, where Abraham and Isaac happened. There's this temple that's built a certain way, and the Bible tells us that the glory of the Lord resided in one of the rooms above the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is not just from Raiders of the Lost Ark, folks. It's actually in the Bible. It's a joke. Come on. Raiders, right? So the Ark of the Covenant. So when he says he goes to the temple, guess where it says he's going? To where the glory of God resided. And then you start to say to yourself, of course he went to the temple. He's starting to grow spiritually, emotionally, physically, in all things. And he's coming to this realization. However mysteriously you explain it, be a Berean and explain it, he's coming to the realization that he is the Messiah. Can you imagine? So mom and dad want to go back home. He wants to stay where his father's house is. Which is kind of an interesting sermon. Don't leave Jesus at church. Make sure when you leave here today, and I'll make sure too, probably me first, that I don't leave Jesus here. Because you know where Jesus is needed? Out there. Yeah, we come in here, of course, don't we? We want to praise the Lord. We want to worship together. We want to study the doctrine. That's what Acts 2.42 tells us to do. We want to break bread together when it's healthy and we're allowed. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. No emails now. But we want to do that. We want to break bread together. We want to, right? And we, and we want to pray together. That's what we want to do here. But the mission field is out there. And here's the thing. A lot of us as Christians, especially when we're baby Christians, we'll be Christians in here because guess what? You speak the language I speak in here, man. I can say praise the Lord in here, and she knows what I mean, and I know what she means. But what if I said let's talk about Jesus, you know, down at the barber shop? Now we're getting serious. And people will scatter like cockroaches. They want to talk about God, don't they, out there? God, fine, no problem, God. Boy, you bring up the name Jesus. But here's the amazing part. People who don't know the Lord, it's okay. Listen, we love, but as much as they want to scatter, they're scattering from the person who can give them eternal life. 
and you have been asked. You, you're people who are to do this, so don't leave Jesus at church. I'll try not to leave Jesus at church. We need the Holy Spirit to move us when we go out there. So here we go. He, they leave him at church, not faulting them, but man, it says something to me. I don't want to leave Jesus at church. Jesus also is telling us through this story his father. Yes, Joseph is his legal father. He wasn't his biological father. Yes, Joseph is his legal father, of course, but my real father is God himself. How do you think it's said then in the Gospels that you're going to recognize Abba Father. You're going to be able to call him Abba Father by the blood of his son. As you come into relationship with God, you're going to be able to call him Daddy too. You see? And then the Bible says, can you hardly believe it? It's just somebody goes up to him. I think a lawyer probably. I think it was actually. I said, tell me, tell me, listen. I just know, want to know what to do. Tell, tell me what I got to do. Because I'm a stickler, the person asked. What do I got to do? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Just with everything you are, just love the Lord. And then you can love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourselves. But the Bible tells us we can't even love him first until we recognize that. Or we can't love him until we recognize he loved us first. And that makes all the difference in the world. So you go, and you go, wow. Here he is. He's growing. He under, starts to understand who he is. He says, I'm at the temple. Of course I'm at the temple. That's where my father's house is. He says that. But notice, he's starting to grow intellectually, starting to know from submitting to the Lord. He's knowing how to answer the questions because you got to remember all these really smart religious people would sit around in the temple areas and discuss the various things of the law. I want you to know something, folks. I want you to know something. Here's the Savior of the world asking them questions, but before he asked them questions, I want you to catch something. He listened. <laughs> You're like, well, why, why are you making such a big deal about that? Have you noticed the discourse in America lately? Nobody listens to anybody. Now, this is the Messiah. These religious people are trying to give him, and he is being instructed, but this is the Messiah, and they're both asking questions. He's asking questions. There's this back and forth, and the Bible tells us that he's listening. I suggest to you, that if you want to witness to somebody and share the love of Christ with somebody, I suggest you go and find people who don't believe what you believe and listen. Just, can I say it? May I say it? Listen, I'm kind of rude. Just shut up for a minute. I'm telling myself this. Just shut up because you know what you're saying. You get somebody, they might be in a different political party, and here's the stance you take. Okay, I'm going to ask them a question, but as soon as I get a boom, why not just listen to what they say? Of course you can say what you want to say, but you can say it lovingly. Jesus Christ listened to people. The problem here in a lot of spaces is we don't listen to anybody that disagrees with us. Well, listen, he's getting ready to change the covenant here from the law to the law of grace. 
How do you think that's going to make some of these people feel? Hmm? Here he listened, and uh, they asked questions, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers because he's growing in the Lord. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. Grow in the Lord. Just grow in the Lord. How do you grow? I'm telling you, I think there's something here that tells us something amazing about the Lord. It tells you something amazing about you. How how do you grow? They saw him. They're amazed. Mom said, what have you done? Look, your father and I are anxious. And that word is like really anxious, of course. He says to them, why did you seek me? Didn't you know that it must be about my father's business? He says to them, I'm... I love my Father in heaven. He's my first priority, but that should be your first priority. Should you give up your familial ties? No. Should you love your family? Yes. But the Lord is the safest place to be, loving Him and having Him love you. Be there, and you're going to grow healthy and strong, and you're going to be able to love other people, including your family. Got it? Okay, but what is it that I'm getting at? Well, he goes down with them and goes to Nazareth. Nazareth, listen to this. People hate this in the Christian life. The Messiah of the world, the one who came to save all of us from our sins, this most incredible thing, he was subject to his parents. He lived in submission to his parents. Can you imagine as the Lord is revealing who he is to him, however you believe that happened, there's a lot of different ways, but here he is, the Messiah of the world. My temptation, if I was in that position, thank goodness I'm not, is when my mom tried to tell me something, you know what my temptation was to be? Really, mom? Come on, mom. I can do what I want. True? Come on, man. So I want you to see something. The best place, listen, listen, folks, parents, grandparents, people, the best place for you personally is to be in a humble place of submission. That's where you grow. But in America, we hate submission. We could even go to church for 50 years, but please don't tell me what to do. That shows itself in all kinds of different ways. Well, what do you mean? Well, listen, here's the Messiah who said, I came to do the will of the Father. All that the Father shows me, I'll do, including, Lord, if you want me to go to the cross, I'll do it. I'll put my whole life down. If there's any other way, Lord, let's figure this out. But if there isn't any other way, I'll submit. And the Bible says he grew in all these different ways, right? I believe a clue here is he would subject himself to his parents even. You say, why are you going on and on about this? Well, because the Bible tells you and me that we're to be subject to people. We're to put ourselves under the authority of people and stay there. That's what the word means. Submissive means stay there. Uh Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. You're not going to like it. This is going to hurt a little bit. For instance, the Bible tells us we're to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. In other words, I want to consider your interests even before mine. I'll submit to you in the fear of the Lord. And then the Bible tells us, here we come. You're going to love this. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh Uh-oh. 
Here he goes. But the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands. But how? As unto the Lord. A barometer, wives, of your spiritual life is the way in which you submit to your husband. Now you're going to say, well, wait a minute. Is the husband, you know, what, what do you mean? Well, the spiritual authority of the husband. But see, the spiritual authority of the husband is he's submitting to Jesus Christ himself. And the Bible says that you're to submit to her like Christ died for the church. You're to give it all up for her. So to lead her to guide her, to direct her in all things that are going to make for her good. That's what you're to do, including you'd lay your whole life down for her. And when that happens, see, the wife wants to submit to the leadership of the Lord. Now, we're not talking about anything inappropriate here. We're not talking about if you're unsafe or physically unsafe. No, 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 no. no. That's something else. If you're unsafe, you got to get away. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the mechanics of life in the home. Hold on here now. Wait a minute. The Bible also says children honor your parents. Children are just submit to their parents. I got news for you folks. Your children are not at the center of the universe. That's not what the Bible describes. Guess who's at the center of the universe? God. He's at the center of the universe. Well, you just come up to a TJ football game or a, a middle school game or something and watch the parents in the stands with their kids. It's rampant. Oh, Billy, you stabbed somebody in the leg. Hey, you know what? Billy was tired today. It's okay. Are you okay with that? I mean, he was tired. He didn't mean to stab you in the leg. I mean, people do this stuff, not stabbing in the leg. But, but you get it. They let the kids run the household. Kids don't run the household. Now, I'm not talking about anything vicious or mean or abuse. That's not what I'm talking about. There's leadership in the home. There's following in the home. No one's better than another. We're all living it together as unto the Lord. But wait a minute. The Bible also says you're to be subject to your employer. But you argue, wait a minute, he's a jerk or she's a jerk. There ain't no way. Well, that's not your option. Now, I'm not talking about doing something illegal or anything. You disagree with the way in which he or she runs the office. But, you know, you're still getting the work done. You're, you're to submit to that person. <laughs> I see the, the rolling of the eyes. I ain't saying it. The Bible's saying it. You, you know, you know how there's a couple ways to be humble. You know this, right? One way to be humble is get humiliated. Nobody likes that. But another way to be humble is to, sub, to submit. God gives grace to the humble, the Bible tells us, but opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. So, listen, do you want to grow in the Lord? Do you want to grow in the Lord? Everybody would say, if I went down around here and you're, you're, yes, so of course, it sounds so flowery and wonderful. Okay. Submit. (laughs) Die to yourself. 
Do you understand? Die to yourself. Be filled up with all that the Lord is and go live your life fully ablaze for him. If he takes you to a lawyer's office to be a lawyer or to be a doctor or to be a counselor or to be a, a person who works in the home, which is the hardest and toughest job, or, or whatever. He takes you and you're a waste management, you know, picking up waste. Great! Do it fully ablaze for the Lord. Submit and you'll grow. I'm convinced. Resist submission, and you'll just be always, always two steps forward, four steps back. Got it? All right. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I'm convinced your life will be totally blessed if you'll live in submission. We're all called to it. Every one of you in here is called to submit. We're called to submit to the Lord first. By the way, I'll go on. I'm beating a dead horse. We'll all say, yeah, sure, I'll do that, no problem, until the Lord asks you to do something that's difficult. (laughs) And when the Lord asks you to do something difficult, you know what you say? You know what I say? Eh, Maybe in that area, Lord, no submission. That's not it. Jesus submitted even unto death an innocent man for people who are guilty. Who would you die for that was guilty and you were innocent? Nobody. Well, you go on. It says in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, here's the historian Luke. He's giving you all these people. Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, uh, tetrarch of Ituria and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. You understand he wants you to know with specificity when this was. You get it? And this is somewhere between 27 and 29 A.D., right in that range. Okay? He names all these people, and you go, okay, cool. Who did you use as the one to prepare the way for them? Which one of these important figures did you use? No, he's just setting a historical time frame But instead, he asked John the Baptist, who was the son of Zacharias. We studied him a couple weeks ago, who lived in the wilderness all this time. He lived in the desert since his youth. Oftentimes, you're prepared for ministry in the desert, not in the fun times, in the great times. You're you're there with the Lord, and you're depending upon him. Well, anyway, this John, the son of Zacharias, John the Baptist, is out in the wilderness. He goes into all the region around the Jordan. If you know the uh, geography of Israel, that's fascinating. Over on the western edge is this river that runs from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. And over there is where John the Baptist went, around the Jordan, the Jordan River. And he was preaching a baptism of repentance. You see that? There was a baptism of repentance. Now, you are going, well, what's the big deal? This was baptism for the remissions of sins. And it was written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You see this. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain hill brought low. Crooked places brought straight. Rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And you know this. John the Baptist baptized tons of people out there. Crowds were coming. And then he's going to, here in a minute, baptize Jesus. Maybe longer than a minute. 
<laughs> That's a joke. But uh, anyway, he goes into all the region. What is he doing? He's preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What does remission of sins tell or is, or what is it? It's a wiping away of the sins. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there can be no wiping away. There can be no remission of sins. God's requirement is blood. Just come with us in the study of Leviticus. We're doing it every Sunday morning for one more week. But we've been doing it Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and what you discover real quick, especially when you just read through it first, wow, bloody, man. This is bloody. What is that all about? It's for a precursor of Jesus paying the ultimate price and here he's saying, for, for the remission of sins by the blood. Here he says that's what he preached, a baptism of repentance. And what he was doing was prophesied in Isaiah 40. That was written 800 years before this story. 800 years. And here it is. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Isaiah 40. You can go there, 1 through 5. How, how would he know he was John the Baptist, who was Isaiah 40? How would he know? Turn with me to chapter 1. How would John the Baptist know that his ministry was to pave the way for the Messiah? How? You ever thought about that? I'm going to tell you how because you're going to see how right here from the Bible. When John the Baptist uh, was born... There was a prophecy given to his dad, and in verse 76, look, and you, child, the dad is saying, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you're going to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of God. Can you imagine having mom and dad who's training you up in the Lord, and one of the things they're saying is, hey, we're going to train you up. You know, they'd call him out on their cell phone. They'd call out to the wilderness. I know you're living out there, little guy. You, you know what, man? So, you know, keep doing it. Keep up because you're the one that's going to pave the way for the Messiah. They knew. They were training him up. So here he gets out. He's out there. He's been out there training. He's the one that's called the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness. He's out near the Jordan. And what is his ministry? To prepare the way of the Lord. And he's making his path straight. He's that, what that's saying is, it's like, you know when a king goes down in a parade or something in the old times? You know what they would do? Well, now, you know what they would do. They'd send the secret service out. Uh, not that our president's a king, but you know, the president or a king. They'd send the intelligence people out, and they kind of like scout and hunt. And they're making that path straight. And even, you know, over in Britain sometimes, they roll out a red carpet. That's what he's saying here. He's making his path straight. But here's another thing. What does Jesus do for us? He'll make your path straight. You ever thought about how some, some people say, John 14, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through him. And you hear people who aren't Christians say, man, that's so intolerant. You mean there's only one way to the Lord? It's not intolerant. It's merciful. If there were all these different ways, it'd be so confusing. Here the Lord says there's just one way. Don't get mixed up. There's just one way. I'm going to like walk down to you by my son, 
and I'm just going to lead you back to me by the blood. It's one way. It's so merciful. Here he just makes the path straight, and every valley shall be filled. You, you understand that the things that you're lacking, like righteousness, he builds up in you. He gives you his righteousness. But not only that, I'm convinced. Oh, boy, I'm going to get in trouble here. What is one of the ministries that Jesus does? See, he sticks joy in your heart. When you're low, he gives you joy. You say, whoa, wait a second. When you gaze on the beauty of Jesus Christ and you contemplate everything that he's done, his joy becomes our strength. He makes the low places high. And then listen, He makes every mountain in your life hill. He brings them down. That speaks of what does the Messiah do? What's the forerunner saying? Well, you must repent. Repentance, folks, I don't know about you. Repentance is humbling. I need a Savior. Listen, we were taught from little kids, weren't you? I was taught my whole life. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Be your own man. Don't show any emotion. Don't tell anybody you need them. That's how I grew up. And I thought that was the American way. Here he's saying, no, 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 no. What, uh, what the Messiah is going to do is he's going to take down your high places, your, your pride. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud, the high places. He takes those down. Repentance, that's what I'm going to preach. That's what John's going to preach. That's what Jesus is all about. And everything that's crooked, he's going to make it straight. Again, that straight path. But the crooked places of your life, he'll straighten out. And the rough ways, are you rough? Yeah. Well, I'm rough. Even the rough places he's working and smoothing out. And all flesh, it, listen, this is, this is why, this is in Luke. All flesh shall see for salvation of mankind. In other words, this ain't restricted to the Jews. Everybody can come and have salvation. You don't have to be from the right side of the tracks. You can be from the wrong side of the tracks and we're all equal in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? You know what else is humbling about this? Look what he says here. The multitudes that come out to be baptized. Uh, if you were teaching <laughs> Bible preaching, you know what they teach you now? Say a cute little story at the beginning, grab their attention. Uh, say something funny, grab their attention. Be real nice, make them feel comfortable. That's what they tell you in Bible school. Do this sermon. Here John says, I don't know if you know this, but the people who are coming, he says to them, you're snakes. <laughs> he flunks Bible school. Homiletics is over for John the Baptist. Who crafted this sermon? You're snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But he's telling them in a very direct way, in a good way, he's waking them up. Without the Lord in your life, you're just like the serpent who crawled on his belly and tried to deceive people. And oh, that's so true. The Bible tells us we're sinners. Our hearts are deceptively wicked. Who could know it, the Bible said. If you sinned in one little point, you've sinned in the whole law. You know the things. You know the scriptures. Well, look, who warned you to flee? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't begin to say for yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Listen to what he's saying. I want you to see this. It doesn't matter what lineage you're from. It'll never get you to heaven. 
Just because you're a Baptist doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you go to Calvary Chapel doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You've got greater things to worry about than denominationalism. The Bible is clear that you're a sinner and that you must repent and nothing like genealogy or race or class or anything gets you to heaven. In fact, he's speaking to the Jews and he says, you have to repent. And not only that, Jewish people, you have to be baptized. Now you all in here are going, so what's the big deal? Well, see, Jews would baptize at this time the Gentiles if they came into their faith. But never would they baptize a Jew. They're the people of God. Jesus just blows all of that up. And he blows all of it up here. I don't care where you go. Episcopalian, Methodist, just go on and on. Just go down the list. Our, you know, Calvary, it doesn't matter. You and I must recognize we're sinners and are saved by grace. Nothing else will get you in. And he even says, listen, the, the ax is now laid to the root of the trees. In other words, we're going to get to the root of the problem here, man. Therefore, every tree which doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Don't you say to yourself, I mean, when I hear that, I'm going, whew, wait a second. Let me find out what he means right here. <laughs> Interesting, he says, so the people asked him. Of course they did. See, the Bible's funny, man, in some spots. This, to me, is funny. I mean, can you imagine? Hey, you snakes. What do you mean, snakes? We were the ones who came at your message. <laughs> We came because your message, and you, you're calling us. And so he go, runs down through this thing that we just read, and then he goes, uh, or they go back to him, well, man, what do we do? <laughs> I mean, we're toast. What do we do? In other words, listen to this. We're here, aren't we? You go, well, what are you talking about? Well, a lot of people in the church say that. We're here. We come. We sing the songs, man. We actually even sometimes give in the box. One time, you asked for helpers to clean up after church, and we did it. We come. What do you mean the axe is at the root? <laughs> See, because repentance is where it starts. We must be people who have changed our mind about who God is and who we are and then move towards God in repentance and humility saying, God, we need a Savior. If we just keep coming to church 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, we aren't submitted to the Lord. We're just doing the stuff. We're counting on something other than the blood of Jesus Christ to save us. Whew. That life, the one who does that, is chopped down and thrown in the fire. We don't want anybody having that happen to them. Well, listen. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, are you going to do a worship song at the end? I'm putting them on the spot. They say, sure, okay. I didn't get anywhere near as far as I wanted to get. But see, this is the perfect time.
Uh, because if you're here, listen to this, they're going to walk up here and walk around. Don't pay attention to them. I mean, pay attention to them when they're up here, but pay attention to this. And this is the, the key. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Listen to me. Don't look at them. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Here's what I want you to know. If I asked you right after the sermon, and I'm going to go up and test some of you, are you going to heaven? I'm going to know almost instantly whether you're on the right track or not. Because if you start saying this, um, you know, I don't know, I, I think so. I mean, I'm a pretty nice person, and I, you've missed the message here. Because there's nothing you could ever do good enough to get to heaven. There's nothing ever that you could do. See, you need God's righteousness. So, just like at the Sermon on the Mount, when they asked him, how perfect do you have to be, Jesus? He goes, oh, oh, um, you have to be just as perfect as your Father in heaven. Huh? So, in order to do that, you need the righteousness of Christ. And how do you do that? What do you do? Well, you just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you, a Savior. I'm repenting. I'm agreeing with you, who I am, and I'm moving towards you. And listen, listen, and I want to live my life based on the fact that you died and rose again. You paid the penalty for my sins. Now, I want to exchange my life for yours. Come into my life. Be my righteousness, my sanctification, my glorification, all the things that you can be, my wisdom, my peace. I'm counting on you, not myself anymore. <laughs> Maybe you've never done that. If you've never done that, over this song, I want you to pray that prayer. Think about that. Talk about that with the Lord as you're doing it. But listen, folks, if you've been coming to church for 50 years, 50 weeks, 50 minutes, I don't know, and you think you've been a good person, and you're counting on something other than the blood of Christ and his righteousness imputed to you, then you pray that prayer too. And we're going to sing this worship song, and we're going to worship the Lord and then I'm going to come back up here at the end. I'm just going to bless you and give you a blessing. But I hope if you've prayed a prayer, you've returned to the Lord, you've come to the Lord, you'll come up here and tell us about it. We could help you, okay? Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and for these people who love you. And we ask that you receive this offering of praise and inhabit it as you promise. In Jesus' name, amen.